Would you go so far as to say that the machine of science is oiled with the blood of the grad student, Josh? <laughs> would you Would you jump to that level? I don't know if I'll go on the record to okay. say that, but that's one way to look at it. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week on the show, grad students are rioting at Mizzou. We take a look at the surprise cancellation of health insurance subsidies for graduate students at the University of Missouri, and we talk to a grad student impacted by the development. Stay with us. Welcome back. This is Hello PhD, Episode 8. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of the science culture and life in the lab. Dan, how are you this week? I am frightened and, and confused Oh, this week. that sounds terrible. Well, as you'll remember, Josh, we had uh, an initial recording of this exact podcast earlier this week. Yes. And we were fraught with a series of unexplainable difficulties. It was quite a week on the Hello PhD podcast. I think I have a theory, though. What's that, Dan? What's your theory? So, you remember, we, we tried to get some interviews, and the, the sound wouldn't come through from the phone to the recording device. Technological failure. And then when we listened back to what we recorded after that, it had this series of crackles and pops and things that were not in the headphones when we recorded it. Yeah, it was very strange. Many gremlins appeared to be present. Do you remember what we were drinking on that fateful evening? I remember quite well. Uh, we were drinking Boulevard Brewery Tank 7. Tank 7, the farmhouse ale. Now, if you go to look at the website for Tank 7, they say very explicitly that Tank 7 is their most finicky and persnickety piece of equipment, and it's the black sheep of their seller family. I think they've had problems with the Tank 7 fermenter. Oh. And I wonder if now the studio is haunted. The spirit of Tank 7. I think that might be right. I mean, you didn't know why we had this extra sound on our, our recording. I think it was the Tank 7. Yeah, I mean, this was our eighth episode. We've done this uh, flawlessly for eight weeks and done quite a bit of recording before, and I have no explanation for the issues we were having. Let's play a little clip of it so that they can hear what happened. Yeah, here's what we recorded previously this week. Tank number seven is a Belgian-style farmhouse ale, and it's got a lot of the sweetness. I'm, I'm picking that up from the Belgian style. Mm -hmm. I think the foam almost overflowed the glass tonight. Yeah, there's a lot of foam here. It's very... So I sort of like it, though. It adds a little bit of a creamy, smooth uh, initial... Yeah, and not super dark. So now I'm going to go around the studio, I think, with <laughs> some burning sage, and I don't know how else you exercise uh, Smell beer, the aroma. beer demons. <laughs> yeah, but but we've got to do this. This is, this is very disturbing to me. Yeah, so, uh, so we are re-recording... Um, which actually worked out pretty well for us this week in the long run because it has been not just a week for us here at the Hello PhD podcast, but quite a week for the graduate students at the University of Missouri. Yeah, and in fact, that's why we chose uh, the Tank 7 from Boulevard Brewing because that's a Missouri brewery. And we were trying to, to choose a beer out of solidarity with the students, the grad students at University of Missouri, who woke up uh, Friday morning and had an email from the associate vice chancellor that said, hey, guess what? Your health insurance is done today. Yeah, and I think that was um, extra disheartening because their insurance policy for the year was lapsing. Now, they have a, a slightly different system there. Um, they don't actually have a, their own health care plan, right? Yeah, so I think the system, as I understand it, in Missouri for graduate students is the university, as um, part of the grad student benefits, provides a subsidy, 
to help graduate students pay for their own insurance plan that they can purchase either from the university or on the independent market. Yeah, so that was about a $3,000, I guess, extra bonus check that they were supposed to use to go buy health insurance. But under the Affordable Care Act, uh, there's a specific provision in there to prevent companies from doing that. So um, companies that choose to give a subsidy for health care rather than actually providing health care kind of get away with a, a cheaper form of, of that employee benefit. And so the IRS is now uh, saying they are going to fine any employer who does this. That's right. My understanding is obviously the Affordable Care Act wants to... Obamacare. <laughs> Obamacare, a.k.a. Um, but the Affordable Care Act wants to incentivize employers to um, pr- actually provide insurance for their employees. And so for companies over 50 employees, there are actually pretty stiff financial penalties that went into effect on July 1st for employers who um, did not provide insurance to their employees. And I think the issue at hand here at Missouri was that from the IRS's perspective, graduate students were and are seen now as employees. Yeah, so this was, um, they were facing about $100 per student per day fine with 3,000 students. You can uh, do the math very quickly to find out $300,000 a day. Beep, 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 A lot of money. A lot of money. Um, but you were actually able to talk to a graduate student, is that right? I did. So I was able to get Rachel Zamzo on the phone, who is a neuroscience graduate student at the University of Missouri, who was directly impacted by this situation. And so I spoke with her for a few minutes to just get a feel for what's going on, what the grad students are feeling about that this week. Let's take a listen. All right. I know not everybody is totally familiar with what's been going on at Missouri. So could you just Mm -hmm. explain to people who aren't familiar with the situation what exactly is going on right now? Yeah. So the situation has gotten fairly complicated, but in a nutshell, uh, this past Friday, uh, we were all of the graduate students were notified via email that the University of Missouri is no longer uh, honoring the health insurance subsidies that we were guaranteed in our offer letters. Um, And so first of all, that's pretty unfortunate. And the really unfortunate thing was that that email came 13 hours before last year's plans expired. So we were essentially given 13 hours to find money or alternate plans to maintain continuous coverage. Uh, so that's kind of the nutshell uh, of what's going on as far as what's happened. Yeah, I can imagine how that would be frustrating. So when you were appointed as a grad student at Missouri, you had an offer letter that outlined that insurance subsidy as part of your support. Exactly. So uh, so you could qualify that as a, as a breach of contract, but we've been informed uh, that perhaps this uh, the determination by the IRS deems our contracts uh, invalid because they violate federal law. So we're working on trying to figure out exactly what that means as well. Yeah, I was going to ask if if legally that's something you all were pursuing as a group. Not as a group. Uh, so we are pursuing other things as a group. Uh, so uh, last week, um, or sorry, on, on Tuesday this week, uh, we as a group, and so our, our group is entitled to form graduate rights and literally has been formed in the past five days since we were notified via email the loss of our uh, subsidies. Uh, we're pursuing as a group uh, the reinstatement, if possible, at all of those subsidies as well as um, other things that uh, we still be, we believe uh, that we deserve as graduate students. So, for example, to live above the poverty line, um, to have 
an on, on-campus daycare that we used to have, but has since been eliminated and uh, not been reestablished. Um, but as far as the actual uh, pursuing legal uh, processes related to our contracts, we've been encouraged to pursue that on an individual basis if we wish at this time. So really, while the precipitating event was the loss of the insurance subsidy, this has really kind of sparked a more broad, I guess, more broad action about graduate student treatment and rights, it sounds like. Ex- right, exactly. We've, uh, this, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, a series of things. Uh, there's sort of been a pattern of not uh, necessarily treating the grad students here with the best quality. Uh, so, for example, like I said, the on-campus daycare, um, low stipends, especially for international students, uh, tuition waivers have recently been cut for some students. So uh, this this happening this past Friday was really sort of the last straw for us, and we've decided to sort of join as a force and really fight for what we think are our rights. So obviously you guys have been very, very vocal, and the organization um, that you all have demonstrated um, has been pretty obvious, you know, even to the outside community. Um, what's the university response been to this um, since Friday happened? Right. So uh, on Monday, as a group, we gathered uh, to sort of discuss what's going on and options. There were about 500 people there, uh, the standing room only in a in an auditorium. And since we met as a group, uh, really right after that meeting, uh, the chancellor of the university issued an apology uh, for the sort of lack of communication, uh, the timing of our notification that we were losing our subsidies, and uh, he organized a task force of um, uh, university uh, faculty as well as student representatives that by October 31st has to come up with a definitive solution. Um, now, that doesn't help us in the interim. Most of us are still trying to figure out how we're going to get coverage for the fall and possibly the spring semester. Um, the university is offering us what they're calling one-time fellowships. Uh, that's a small... Uh, some sort of a lump sum that is taxable uh, that we can put toward insurance, but they can't legally uh, call it something for insurance. Right. And so is the hope then, from the university's perspective, that this will be taken care of and that subsidies will be reinstated? I'm sure they can't promise that, but is that sort of the feeling that you're getting um, among the graduate students is that this is going to be um, a temporary financial burden and that long-term the university is going to step up and reinstitute um, health coverage? Uh, we're not really getting any indications that that is in the long-term plan. Uh, definitely not for the current year, essentially, because they've spent the uh, budget they originally had for the subsidies on giving all of the students uh, one-time uh fellowships to sort of offset the costs. So at least not for this 2015-2016 academic year. Uh, But so essentially we're given a short-term solution. And if there are long-term solutions on the table, the graduate students haven't been made aware of them. So it's sort of a a waiting game at this point as far as what's going to happen long-term. So what are most students doing right now for coverage? Obviously, this really came out of the blue for everybody. So, I mean, what's your sense for what or is there a standard situation most students are in? What are they doing right now for health coverage? Right, right. So uh, first for the international students, they're required to be on the student health insurance plan. So they were actually automatically enrolled in the student health plan, which is through Aetna here. 
and uh, then notified 13 days later that they were actually going to be paying for that themselves. Their dates are a little bit different from domestic students. Uh, for domestic students, most are enrolling in the same student health plan, paying for the fall semester out of pocket, using the one-time fellowship uh, funds to offset that cost, or some are paying for the entire year. And others are going to the, to the marketplace and purchasing plans there. And, uh, and uh, some are qualifying for uh, those federal subsidies that would uh, sort of offset those costs. Yeah, so I think what seems to be one of the biggest sources of frustration or confusion, at least from the outside looking in, is, you know, a lot of this seemed to come about because of the wording of the Affordable Care Act. And I know, obviously, the spirit of ACA was to make it easier and more affordable for people to be insured. And in this situation, it seems to have had the opposite effect. Yeah, it does. It's it's seeming to hurt the people it was supposed to help. And we're trying to direct to either give universities an exception to their new rule uh, or reverse what they've did their interpretation of that part of the ACA and uh, and really try to rectify the situation that sort of unfortunately come about. Now, do you know of any other institutions or universities where graduate students have had the same issue? I seem to have read something about LSU. Um, do you know of any other places where this has already happened or is happening? LSU is the only one I know for sure that's in basically the exact same situation as us. Uh, a lot of other universities, uh, so for example, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, have uni- uh, unionized grad student populations, and so situations like this couldn't have arisen in that way. Uh, so it really depends on how the uh, graduate student population is or is not organized, and also what their student health plan looked like before the ACA went into effect. So. Uh, not every university is affected in the same way, and how they're handling it is obviously different across universities. Yeah, well, this has been this has been really helpful to to get your insight and feedback, and you know, all of us in graduate education outside of Missouri are kind of watching what's going on, and definitely we're feeling uh, our hearts are going out for all of you all in the situation you've been put in, and um, I think a lot of us you know, on the outside, want to do what we can to, to help advocate for graduate student rights and for you all who are facing this right now. Are there things that, that we or our listeners could do to, to help out uh, the grad students at Missouri right now? I think just kind of following along, like you said, uh, we have a pretty prominent hashtag we're using on Twitter and Facebook that's hashtag grad insurance. And uh, we're posting as many things as we have uh, on there. And specifically, we have a petition uh, right now that you can find via that hashtag for uh, convincing the IRS to give universities an exception to their determin- their uh, ruling based on the uh, ACA. And there's also a thunderclap that you can also find on the same hashtag that I think will be going out on Monday. So if you want to go and support that, that'd be great. And that really... Uh, sort of helps get our message even further out there. And, yeah, we really appreciate the support from you guys. And it's it's been kind of cool to see not only our own university population of grad students come together, but across the country, uh, people supporting us and uh, in this issue, for sure. Well, we're definitely following along. We're definitely behind you all. So Thank you, know, you so much. So thanks for taking the time to, to get on the phone with me. This has been really informative. Great. I'm glad I could help. Okay, that was Rachel Zamzo, fifth-year neuroscience graduate student.
Excellent interview, sir. I'm I'm going to clear space on the uh, studio shelf for the the Peabody or the <laughs> the Pulitzer about to uh, about to come in. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I, gotta, uh, I need to move some things anyway. So um, it sounds like the students were extremely proactive, and and Twitter itself kind of exploded with this hashtag grad insurance tag. Yeah, and and that's how we found out about it. Actually, we had a completely different topic planned for this week, and happened to be on Twitter checking our account and. Um, I saw that's where I first learned of this issue, and so we shifted gears and thought this would be worth talking about. And thanks to Rachel for quickly jumping on the phone and and giving us uh, some perspective from the ground over in Missouri. Yeah, do do tweet to us. Do you want to read a couple of the ones we got this week? Yeah, so there's really um, fascinating discussion going on on Twitter, um, and some of the responses we got directly um, were first from from Mike Horton um, at Mike Horton MU. And he said the Mizzou grad insurance debacle is part of a larger, pro- larger pattern of exploitation and disrespect, and blaming ACA is mere scapegoating. Also, Ashala Freeman at Ashala F., she had to say, grad students are often caught in policy changes, especially as they relate to taxes. They're more than students, but not employees. This has been a problem since I was in grad school. There's a way to protect the limited benefits that grad students get, right? Yeah, and I heard that from Rachel in that interview. She said... You know, this is the the last straw. This is the thing that that kind of put us over the edge. But we also lost our access to childcare, and we also lost our access to to some, several other things. You know, they they want to have a kind of living wage. Yeah, and I think one thing that that seems to be coming out of this is, you know, frustration from grad students because, you know, we know having been a graduate student that being a grad student is very different. It's fundamentally different than being an undergraduate. In a lot of ways, it's much more akin to being an employee than being a student. Yeah, it is. After your second year of classes are over, you are really full-time in the lab. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know that there's that full understanding by policymakers and people who are not graduate students or outside of the academic community of realizing what it is that graduate students actually provide to university settings. Yeah, and maybe some of this decision wasn't just for the biomedical students. Of course, they have graduate students in other departments and other fields. Um, but but certainly the graduate students in the biomedical sciences are are full time employees. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about the workings of a university, I mean, whether we're talking about humanities or the sciences, graduate students uh, provide a great deal of the teaching support, and also certainly in the sciences, graduate students are a huge part of the workforce that brings in millions of dollars of grant funding that provides not just money for faculty but actually provides millions of dollars of overhead for the university to run. Would you go so far as to say that the machine of science is oiled with the blood of the grad student, Josh? <laughs> would you Would you jump to that level? I don't know if I'll go on the record to okay. say that, but that's one way to look at it. Okay, see, one way, it's a good way. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that's where a lot of this frustration comes from, is the grad students know very well how integral they are to the running of the university, but there's really not a lot of protection and a lot of uh, support for graduate students, and I think this insurance situation just really shined a giant magnifying glass on that. And one thing that impressed me was how quickly the graduate students at Missouri organized. I mean, Rachel mentioned they had a get-together of standing room only, over 500 graduate students. And one thing, you know, I've always found to be a challenge um, for graduate students coming together to advocate for their rights is unlike undergraduates um, or unlike perhaps students in professional programs, there's much less of a sense of cohort because graduate students tend to be very segmented in different departments. And even within a department, 
the individual experience of each graduate student is totally different depending on what advisor they have, what lab they're in. And so I was super impressed how quickly all these grad students in totally different departments, totally different areas of campus came together and rallied around this cause. And one thing we can report now is actually by doing that, um, since we've interviewed, since we interviewed Rachel, there actually has been some update to this story. Yeah, no, I want to read this this retraction um, because it's just so bureaucratic and hilarious. Um, so the University of Missouri official uh, letter that came out a few days ago said, based on recent conversations with external experts and leadership, along with consultation with peer institutions, compliance experts, and internal constituents. I'm not even into the sentence yet. This is just the beginning. MU will defer implementation of its decision regarding graduate student health insurance. Is that good? In other news, just kidding. You get your health insurance subsidy back. Um, I don't know how you could make that less clear if you tried. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's the big news from late in the week. This was such a roller coaster week, I'm sure, for the graduate students um, at Missouri. So if I'm understanding this right, they took the subsidy away. Right. Graduate students revolted. Yep. And now they're giving the subsidy back. They are, and it's not clear yet, at least not to me, whether they will face those IRS penalties or whether they have some other trick up their sleeve. Um, it's possible that they will give the same amount of subsidy, um, but not call it for health insurance. Mm. So um, the original plan was to to cut the subsidy down to about half um, and not say it was for health care. So, you know, maybe they found some money in the budget elsewhere. It's not clear yet. Yeah, my understanding, too, with this reversal, this sudden reversal that seemed to happen as quickly as the initial decision, is that this is not necessarily a permanent solution, however, but actually just the subsidy will be reinstated for now, and the final decision will be deferred for a year? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and it's it's fascinating that it was really the students that did it. And you mentioned, um, you know, they were on Twitter and other places. A- according to an interview done with the chancellor, Bowen Lofton, um, that just came out the other day, he said he didn't even know about the cancellation of the health insurance until 3 p.m. the day that it was canceled. And he found out through social media. So I think this just underscores um, you can make a difference with your activity, with your organization, and if you feel like you have, as a grad student, some kind of um, goal or project that you really want to work on to see change in your university, it can be done. Yeah, I think that is a, a powerful example. And I just want to point out, um, I think it's super great slash sad that Chancellor Lofton and I both found out about this the same way. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Um, we should play a little clip of him uh, making this this statement that he uh, had not heard about it in time. Yeah, let's listen to that really quick. What changed? What has changed since August 14th when the decision was made to today? Well, don't don't cite that uh, as the decision point. Uh, August 14th was a day in which Dr. Rubin made an announcement. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's, that's the truth of that. Uh, I can't even, I don't really know when the decision was made, quite frankly. So, uh, better question. It was, it was a run up to that. Sure, time. sure. And uh, again, I learned about it about three in the afternoon mm-hmm. uh, through social media. August 14th. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, be aware of that situation. Okay. You, okay. Uh, you found out about it August 14th. Uh, well, again, mm-hmm. I, I was first alerted to this issue uh, as an issue in, a mem- in an email to me uh, and a few others on July the 29th. Uh, Who was the email from? Email from Dr. Rubin. Dr. Rubin. Uh, probably four or five of us. How did Dr. Rubin find out? 
Uh, I think uh, if you talk to her, you can certainly ask her. I don't really know for sure. I believe this goes back to uh, the July 1 promulgation by Treasury or IRS of their regulatory change or, or interpretation. And I believe someone in the provost's office was made aware of that through some mechanism, possibly through interaction with other colleagues elsewhere. So, Dr. Rubin, while you're under the bus, please uh, <laughs> check the brakes, see if the axles need greased. Enjoy that. Yeah, um, it's really it's been really funny to read some of the responses uh, the grad students have on Twitter to this interview. Uh, as you might imagine, um, his uh, position of cluelessness did not go over very well. No, I don't think so. So one thing I found interesting, I, I spoke with Rachel for a few minutes after we, we stopped recording, and um, you know Rachel was, was telling me she's a, a fifth-year graduate student. However, you know, one population of students that really was impacted quite a bit by this were the brand-new students, the first-year graduate students. So this announcement obviously came right at the start of the semester. So imagine you're a first-year graduate student, you're just getting to campus, you're just getting started, your offer letter says you're getting this certain level of support, and one of the first interactions you have with your new university is, oh, by the way, we're actually not going to support you in this way. Hopefully you didn't unpack your boxes yet, and you just pick them back up and well, keep going. I would have to imagine this would would impact um, how people feel about their decision to attend um, Mizzou. Yeah, if I have three schools and one of them does not provide health care and the other two do, I mean, as long as the programs are of similar quality, I'm going to choose the one that, that provides the benefits. Yeah, and I do know, I haven't checked um, today, this is Saturday, but on Thursday at least, which was almost a week after the initial announcement, um, that health insurance subsidy was still listed as a benefit on the <laughs> graduate school's recruitment page. Oops. So anyway, I think this is an ongoing story. We're going to keep an eye on it. Um, but, you know, we are um, certainly um, in solidarity and support for the students of Missouri and just um, really, really admire what, what all you guys over there have done and the way you've advocated for yourselves and instituted change. And I think really this is going to be... Um, you know, this is going to be something that students other places are going to look at. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be the beginning of something good. Yes. All right. Well, can we move to the etymology? Yes. Let's move to the, the word of the week puzzle. Okay. So last week's clue was this minimally invasive surgical technique may use a small camera to take a look through an incision in your flank. Any guesses? I actually think I know this one. Okay, this might be two this for two. Be two weeks in a row that I know this. I'm pretty excited. Uh, or it means you need to make these harder. Well, I'm trying. I'm throwing softballs to you <laughs> right now. I'll make them harder later. All right. So my guess is laparoscopic. You got it. Uh, Greek lapara is flank, and uh, so the lower part of the abdomen is the flank. And this was useful for me, um, somebody who likes food and order. You know, I'll buy flank steak, but I had no idea yeah, where the cow steak. comes out of. Yeah. So now you can go to your local Whole Foods and say, I'd like a Laparo from Boss Taurus, please. Your freshest Boss Taurus. You know, when I was thinking about this one this week, I actually was thinking um, lap, like oh, yeah. sit in your lap, seems, like that area. Similar. Yeah, different origins. Um, but, but the first laparoscopic procedure was done in a dog in 1902, at least the first one described. Um, and so cut a small hole and, and inflate the abdominal cavity. It was done by George Kelling in Dresden, Germany. But he used a cotton plug to blow the air into the body cavity. So I'm, as we all know, cotton plugs make everything sterile. Inflated a dog. Yeah, just so, the abdomen, just the abdomen, so, so that he can peer is, inside. So I don't know why, but 
is that how the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade came up with the idea for those giant animal balloons? I think that might be it. Yeah, 1902, <laughs> they didn't have the giant ones. They, they just inflated they used a, real a animals dog. before there That's was right, Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it moved into people. The first, the first human laparoscopic operation was in 1910 um, in Sweden. And today, over a million um, laparoscopic gallbladder removals are done every year, except now they use CO2 to inflate the uh, abdominal cavity. Why is that? Um, the argument is that your body can absorb the CO2 and you can breathe it out later, but also because it's not explosive. So I'm hoping that, that they didn't make that mistake the first time and then kind of switch over. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a, a thought that maybe that's one of those things that... Uh, yeah, somebody did it the wrong way the first time, and then they came up, oh, we better do it. With that's going to leave a stain. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. That's fascinating. Well, that's fascinating. Our man. winner this week is Raleigh. She's a graduate student at UNC Chapel Hill. Fantastic. Congratulations, so, Raleigh. Yeah, we'll be in touch and send over your iTunes gift card. And are you ready for the next week's clue? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, the clue is, people who consume nightshade berries may have their lives cut short. What chemical compound seals their fate? I'll read it one more time. People who consume nightshade berries may have their lives cut short. What chemical compound seals their fate? So remember, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue, and once you get it, you'll find the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com, and we'll randomly select a winner from all the correct responses. All right, fantastic. I will put my thinking cap on. Just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been listening. If you would like to contact us with an idea for the show or a question or comment that you have, you can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. You can tweet at us at hellophd or contact us via our Facebook page. We will look forward to speaking with you again next week. That's right. And uh, I think I'm going to finish this glass of holy water that I've been drinking to purge the studio of the, the Tank 7 demons. Next week's episode will be Tank 7 Gremlin Free. I hope so. Talk to you next week. See you next week.